following program is brought to you by your friends at Podcast One. Lowe's knows you'll do spring right by saving on everything you need to get your garden growing. We do it right, too, with incredible deals to help you save during our spring Black Friday sale, like Bonnie Vegetable and Herb Plants, four for $10. And for a clean-looking landscape, pick up five bags of Scott's Mulch for just $10. Whatever's on your spring to-do list, hurry in and save during our spring Black Friday sale. Do it right for less. Start with Lowe's. Offers valid through 417, not valid on Alaska or Hawaii. Bonnie offer valid on 19-ounce pots. See store for details, U.S. only. And people always will ask me, has anything good from a deal standpoint ever come out of World Economic yeah. Forum? Well, speaking of Spotify, um, I met Daniel uh, in a small room uh, in 2011 wow, at World Economic Forum. And he is another individual like Mark Zuckerberg, yeah. where within 48 hours, I just knew. Welcome to the Forbes interview. I'm your host, Steve Bertoni. On this show, I'll do in-depth interviews with billionaires, entrepreneurs, and influencers. Today, our guest is Jim Breyer, who is the founder of Breyer Capital, also the number one man on the Forbes minus list for many years, a under-30 mentor, and an amazing philanthropist. Jim, thanks for joining us. Steve, it's great to be here. So I'm going to get start off with a day in the life of, of Jim Breyer. You run this big VC fund. You're based on the West Coast. You have a ton of activity in China. You're always in New York and I'm sure all over the world. Like, how do you, you know, do you wake up and know where you are? Like, how, what's a typical day in your life? Well, of course, there's uh, rarely a typical day, but I'll talk about what the uh, week has looked like mm-hmm. thus far. Um, I spend a lot of time uh, focused on nonprofits. Mm-hmm. I believe in social capital, venture philanthropy, and trying to think through how that is going to scale over time. This week, it's been very intensive uh, because I am on the search committee mm-hmm. at Harvard University for our next president of the university. Well, I have to ask my wife if she wants to move to Boston. Before you ask me, I'll let, I'll let you know. <laughs> you got it. Yes, yes. Put me on the, the B list. But it's been a wonderful, intensive, thus far six-month mm-hmm. uh, search and meeting the candidates, uh, speaking to different people in academics or industry about what is the form mm-hmm. of a great university 10 years from now, 20 years from now? Where should Harvard be thinking about innovating and doing what it does so well in many cases, but at the same time being at the leading edge of innovation mm-hmm. has been for the past several months uh, very time intensive, but extraordinarily worthwhile. And breaking away to say thank you to Veridesk and Rocket Mortgage for their support of our podcast, The Forbes Interview. More about these companies later in the show. Where do you look for that role? Is it in academia or is it a former or current big you know, for-profit CEO? Is it an, a government person? Is there a certain um, field you're looking for or are you looking across all, all levels in that? We're looking across all levels. And we've met and spoken to outstanding candidates from, of course, higher education, the world of medicine, science, mm-hmm. uh, people who have had extremely distinguished careers previously in business or politics. And so we're really looking for uh, that magical leadership quality, Mm -hmm. if you will. Uh, Many of the qualities that I've seen over the years in people like Sheryl Sandberg and others that have been recruited into Mm -hmm. uh, portfolio companies such as Facebook. And Harvard's interesting because it's, I mean, first of all, it's such a name brand, but also 
they the graduates include you know or not graduates the students include you know super entrepreneurs like your Mark Zuckerbergs. Then it's also that kind of pure academia, whether they're you know they want to pursue PhDs or their you know, poetry programs. Like it's it's a hard mix when you have like some of the best computer scientists and you have some of the best art historians, and you kind of got to balance that. Absolutely, and that is one of the great powers of the university. The the breadth of what a great university like Harvard can offer is immense. At the same time, uh, universities and higher education are being challenged in many ways from a business model standpoint. Internationally, we see top scientists now being recruited uh, by China and other countries in Asia. We see intensity, particularly in the sciences and the applied sciences, uh, when it comes to recruiting postdocs. Mm. At Stanford, where I'm also very involved, we've lost some outstanding tenured computer science faculty mm. to companies like Facebook and Google. And so the world of higher ed is shifting, and it's a fascinating time in so many ways. Oh, it's going to be hard to be, on, be with Stanford and Harvard. That's kind of like being GM for the Yankees and the Red Sox. It's, it's a <laughs> big competition. I love both. And you, so, I mean, you spend a lot of time on nonprofits, but you also run this very big for-profit venture firm, and people give you a ton of money to make even more money on that. How do you? How do your kind of LPs feel about all this nonprofit work? And how do you kind of balance your? your you have two day jobs, but how do you be, you know, the money maker versus kind of the money giver in a way? Well, it will all come down, and has always come down to medium and long term returns, mm-hmm. and. Uh, the limited partners, in some cases, I've known some of the very best endowment and foundation leaders now for over 25 years. Mm-hmm. Uh, it comes down to picking and selecting and winning the best entrepreneurs and over time generating excellent returns. Mm-hmm. And I am passionate about entrepreneurs, but I'm also passionate about generating outstanding returns. And in certain worlds, uh, there is less of a focus, perhaps, on return and and Mm. persistence of returns. Uh, In the world I live in and the kind of personality I have, I just have to say that uh, I'm proud of so much of what I do, and I keep trying to get better at everything. Mm. But at the same time, I'm very competitive about long-term returns yeah. and very optimistic, actually, on what long-term re- returns look like, as well as medium-term returns, mm-hmm. uh, which I would characterize as five to seven uh, years. Yeah. What's long-term? Like more ten, ten plus kind of thing. Ten plus. Mm-hmm. And one of the things I've learned over time, uh, when I invested in Facebook and joined the board in April of 2005. Mm-hmm. Uh, Even then, uh, it was seven years uh, until the public offering. Uh, And today it's, of course, we're more than 10 years later, and it's still uh, a company, a management team Mm -hmm. that I spend, if not a daily type of interaction with, uh, certainly weekly. Most of it is doing due diligence now with the help of senior management and engineers at Facebook mm. on new, de- new deals that I'm looking at, particularly in the areas of artificial intelligence mm. and some of the areas where Facebook has extraordinary 
uh, due diligence capability as well as extraordinary talent. Yeah, I want to take a step back to Facebook. I mean, you were one of the first investors, outside investors in Facebook. I believe you invested around five cents a share, and we know how that turned out. Um, exactly five cents yeah. a share. So I, I, when you, I mean, this is, and even going further back, you know, you've been a venture capitalist since like the, the late 80s, before it was like a whole, a whole thing. When you first met Facebook at Mark Zuckerberg, I mean, what was your impression? Was it like, wow, this is like, uh, this guy has a lot of potential, or like, wow, I've never seen this in 20 years, or did it kind of start slow and then it just grew with like, wow, this is like a you know deal of a lifetime? Well, it turned out to be uh, certainly uh, a deal of a lifetime, and I'll keep trying intensely hard mm-hmm. to find another Facebook yep. uh, with that kind of return potential, and am trying, uh, particularly in the areas of artificial intelligence. I think there are fertile areas where the next Facebook might evolve from. Mm-hmm. Uh, in my gut, uh, watching Mark present and looking at the site, uh, I knew I wanted to be part of it. Mark and I reflect on this. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> most recently, we were in China together. Uh, And we were talking about many of the challenges Facebook has had in the last six months at a macro level and the world of politics, uh, news feeds. And we laughed because Mark said, who would have ever predicted in 2005 or even 2010 or 2012 that Russia, uh, the politics, the news feed issues would be so central, but we're, we're so fortunate. Yeah, when you first found it, it was a uh, select college and social network was talking about parties and dating and stuff. And now people are saying they help, you know, I mean, they have a huge influence on elections worldwide. What is, when you had the conversations about, because, yes, I mean, as everyone listening knows, Facebook's been under, like, the crosshairs of, of um, a lot of different sides saying responsibility for fake news and news feed and Russian meddling and you name it. What, what, is, what do you and Mark talk about? What is his kind of attitude about this? And what's your attitude? Oh, I think the attitude is is very clear. If we look at what Mark has done in the last couple months, uh, he is intensely focused on connecting the world, mm-hmm. and we have several billion users uh, still to go. And that's always been something that he's celebrated. The different milestones mm-hmm. when we've hit those daily engaged users, he gets, rightfully so, yeah. uh, tremendous pride from that. Uh, Mark is intensely focused also on the experience and some of the recent announcements around where Facebook is going to double down around Mm -hmm. friend activity and friend information is just one example. He's deeply passionate about artificial intelligence, and I expect Facebook as a platform uh, to continue to be a great artificial intelligence platform Mm -hmm. along with Google and Amazon, Tencent, and and others. Mark is also superb at evaluating talent and keeping the great talent. Uh, I like to say that one of the most important things in my business career I've ever done is help Mark recruit Sheryl Sandberg. Mm -hmm. And Sheryl and Mark are an exceptional team. I can't think of a better team at the top in the world of technology uh, than Mark Zuckerberg and Sheryl Sandberg Mark has attracted and retained, over time, some of the best talent in the world, Mm -hmm. the Chris Coxes, the Mike Schreppers, Dan Rose. I could go on and on. And unlike a lot of companies that hit very significant milestones of success, 
many of the great Facebook early employees are still working 80 hours a week plus at Facebook as part of the overall mission. Yeah, and the ones that have left have gone to start new companies, whether it's like Dustin Moskovitz or all those people. And also, you know, Facebook is interesting. Like I, people have told me that, you know, Mark, you know, basically, uh, you know, hires talent like other companies acquire other companies. Um, and I've been lucky to do stories with David Marcus, who I wrote when he was, I did a cover story when he was the head of PayPal. You know, obviously Mark brought him over like, like an acquisition to run messengers, messaging. And obviously we all know, you know, Kevin Systrom's incredible success and Instagram's incredible success um, with Instagram and now in, in just really evolving and thriving in that Facebook kind of community. And, you know, you see Kevin, he has his own campus on the side and it's kind of, uh, he's the president of his, of his country and like the kind of, you know, the Facebook empire. So I think they're very good about acquiring and kind of hands off, I think. It's so well said. Mark has an ability and Mark and Cheryl together have an ability, whether it's talent or an acquisition, mm -hmm. to allow it to be part of the Facebook ecosystem, but to allow it to thrive on an individual basis. And with Kevin and Instagram, uh, which we bought on the, um, at, well, in April of 2012, yep. as we were preparing for our initial public offering, I'm always uh, in awe, honestly, of how Mark and Cheryl work together to attract and keep the great talent. Uh, for me, it's also very exciting to run a lot of the new deals, mm -hmm. a lot of the new opportunities around Mark, Sh Cheryl, use the Facebook team as key elements of an overall worldwide new venture yeah. due diligence process. <laughs> and you funny, you, I mean, you mentioned AI a lot and the big investment in AI. And, you know, through that, you know, where, where the fake news and the meddling and trolls, all that, all the, the bad stuff that comes into a giant, when you have billions of people on a network, like, there's great stuff and there's bad stuff. It's so much content, it's really hard to have humans monitor everything. Do you think AI was going to come in and help as kind of like lifeguards and referees and kind of kicking off some of that? that negative, nasty stuff? Is that, like, is that one of the answers to how they're going to deal with that? It's one of the answers. Yeah. We still need, uh, at Facebook or other large companies that are scaling very quickly, uh, there's no substitute in many ways for really smart yeah. humans using the algorithms uh, in the best possible way. But I'll step back. Uh, AI uh, is continuing to evolve faster than any technology area. Mm -hmm. Uh, I've ever seen, which it makes it so exciting. Facebook, for instance, is using AI uh, to try to identify uh, teenagers uh, or adults in their 20s uh, who might be at risk of either suicidal tendencies uh, or having very unhappy outcomes yeah. and trying to use... Just uh, prone, to prone to violence or causing violence or other way. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Use uh, technologies to help in, in that particular area of mental health. Uh, again, want to have a gentle touch, mm -hmm. but there are areas outside of Facebook now where I'm investing, uh, whether it's cancer and mm -hmm. the use of AI to work uh, very effectively with the help of the great doctors mm -hmm. and begin to systematize and begin to understand how to provide a better diagnosis a better second opinion, uh, and I'm going to probably invest in a couple companies over the next six months which are exactly at that intersection. 
intersection. Some are very close to being announced where it is a data set from phenomenal hospitals or medical clinics. It is leading edge artificial intelligence and machine learning talent, individuals who look a lot like uh, the great AI and machine learning people at Facebook and Google Mm -hmm. and elsewhere, and bringing solutions together to go after very specific opportunities, computational pathology, uh, looking at areas where imaging is so important, Mm -hmm. where we can apply now new areas of artificial intelligence to make better decisions with the doctors, Uh, around many of the most important areas of cancer research. And we'll be right back after this quick break. This year, the office cubicle turns 50 years old. It hails from an age when work was done on typewriters and smoking at your desk was the norm. Today, employees are expecting more from their workspace. They want flexible and active spaces where they can collaborate and feel energized. Veradesk Active Workspace Solutions make it easy to encourage more movement to any workday. Being more active at work, like standing more and sitting less, can help improve your health, boost energy, and increase productivity. Veradesk has a variety of desk solutions that replace traditional Traditional office setups require little to no assembly and are ready to use in minutes. Plus, Veradesk products are made from commercial-grade materials meant to last a lifetime. They're easy to move or reconfigure as businesses change and grow. You can try Veradesk risk-free for 30 days with free shipping and free returns if you're not satisfied. You got nothing to lose. See it for yourself at Veradesk.com. That's V-A-R-I Desk. Every six months, as you know, tech has the buzzwords, and it was it was from mobile first to big data, and now you know AI is always kind of run off. But it's very interesting because there's so many possible. It's such a, a catchphrase, but you know it's interesting that when you drill down to whether it's you know social networks and preventing behavior stuff, or an AI pathology that can you know a machine can look at ten thousand images a second, opposed to that would take any PhD you know ten years to look at. Um, it's fascinating. Like, where do you see in like fast forward ten year, five years from now, how are our lives going to be changed by this by AI, which is going to go from a buzzword to you know reality? It's already happening, but I mean these you know these step changes are lightning fast. Well, a lot of people uh, in the venture capital community, in the investment community, and the broader community continue to uh, offer me advice where they will argue, Jim. Uh, AI really, this seems like a fad. This seems like the buzzword. And, of course, at some level, just as social um, networking was in 2005, just as the Internet and dot-com was in the late 90s, uh, there's a buzzword component, but this is fundamental. AI is fundamental not only in how the major tech companies are using AI, Mm but in how a lot of new startups have used true AI uh, to focus on very specific problems. If we take a company like Kensho... uh, I know Mr. Nadler very well. I am a big fan of Daniel and just saw him um, earlier this week. He's also one of the few AI entrepreneurs that also publish books of poetry, so he's definitely a uh, renaissance man. Yes, he is, and his poetry is darn good. Yep. <laughs> I read the book about uh, two weeks ago. Uh, Daniel and Kensho have applied AI and machine learning uh, to come up with better predictive technologies mm-hmm. uh, around the stock market. 
and around trading. And Daniel is an individual, an entrepreneur that has characteristics I just love. He's technically proficient. He's technically interested. But as you said, Steve, he has this broad range of interests, including poetry or yep. the history of money. And he's applied a lot of those lessons to Kensho. Uh, there are other opportunities, for instance, I work with Daniel on uh, that we're keeping very stealth, but we're very excited about all around the application of machine learning and AI to big vertical markets that have historically taken a long time to be upended. Interesting. And in terms of like how you know you've you're you're like a name brand in in venture capital. Um, people are, like if 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 you invest in a company, it there it, it's, it's just a huge PR boost. Like for example, it's, if Bertoni Capital, no one cares. Prior <laughs> Capital, that people will write about those stories. And I can only imagine how you get flooded with you know pitches and entrepreneurs. You could probably n- never sleep and just meet people. How do you filter through everything, and how do you actually pull the trigger? Like, how big's your team? Do you have like a, a huge team of analysts and associates that are kind of filtering through these these entrepreneurs until it gets to your desk and kind of the investment team, or is it more of a kind of a gut feeling with you just using your network and finding interesting people? It's exactly the gut feel and having wonderful entrepreneurs and executives I've worked with over time, mm-hmm. uh, wonderful academics at. Stanford and MIT and Harvard and other universities around the world, Tsinghua in Beijing, Mm -hmm. that are at the forefront of technical due diligence. Uh, I'm the 100% decision maker. Mm -hmm. Uh, That may change over time, but uh, part of the fun is trying to put together these puzzles and comparing and contrasting opportunities. Right now, I am comparing an AI company focused on cancer uh, here in New York, Mm -hmm with several opportunities in Palo Alto and in Beijing. Uh, it's fascinating to, at the very highest levels, try to understand the strengths and weaknesses of, these are Nobel laureate quality yeah. uh, technologists at the universities, but then the characteristics of how open they will be to bringing on great technical talent, mm-hmm. uh, how open they will be to scaling the team and forming partnerships with either other universities or healthcare systems. For me, the due diligence is fascinating. And for someone who is intellectually curious, uh, not a day goes by where I don't meet someone or speak to someone who is doing groundbreaking research somewhere in the world, whether it's Boston, Cambridge, New York, Menlo Park, and San Francisco, and increasingly Beijing. Because in the past, I mean, a lot of your investments in the past, they've, it's been the whole gamut, but you've invested in, th- you know, platforms and social media companies, whether it's, you know, like Facebook or Spotify or Etsy. You've done a lot of work within the entertainment movie business um, with, I think, what, 20th Century Fox and Legendary and those sort of things. Marvel Entertainment. Marvel Entertainment. Um, my favorite boards I've ever yeah, been on. Yeah, that's good, good <laughs> swag, right? You must have... Like action figures everywhere, and and that's those are like it's they're it, those are fun media driven things, and now it seems like you're really going from you know superheroes to you know PhDs in Beijing doing it's a big pivot. Are you really focusing now on this really kind of wonky academia stuff, or you still keep your eye out for you know powerful but more mainstream things like a you know Spotify is a powerful company. I love Daniel. A little easier to understand than cancer AI. Like, are you? pivoting towards really more of this academic stuff, or you still keep your eye open for just interesting um, opportunities, whether it's like an Etsy 
kind of thing. Well, I've loved the consumer-facing, consumer-oriented opportunities. As a percentage of time and portfolio, uh, I do believe that we're at a pretty unique point in time where the seven or eight highest market cap consumer-facing internet companies, Mm -hmm. um, and we know it's the fangs and the bats, are founder-driven, well-managed, and intensive around how they continue to build their businesses. Therefore, in terms of upside opportunity, I'm still seeing uh, quite a bit Mm -hmm. uh, in consumer-facing businesses, but the big upsides will generally have an AI or technology component that's deeper than what might have been the case at the advent of the internet Mm -hmm. or social networking. The skill sets right now needed to drive a big opportunity are skill sets that are very limited. Uh, The great AI and machine learning talent, when combined with great product marketing capability, Mm -hmm. is where I see a lot of opportunities. And that might be what Tom Siebel has done at Mm -hmm. C3IoT, where I'm thrilled to be working with Tom, who I've known uh, for 20 plus years. He was actually almost my boss. If I wouldn't have joined Venture Capital, I would have worked for Tom Siebel uh, at Oracle, or I would have worked at Apple. I did, a, I did a story with Tom when he was recovering from that crazy elephant attack. That's a whole other story. But it's a whole other story. But what a comeback. But again, how Tom is using AI machine learning mm-hmm. uh, in a very deep way to go after IoT and making sure that he is building a technology and a set of technologies and platforms that can compete with GE and mm-hmm. IBM and other major companies is a different kind of challenge from when Oracle or Siebel Systems was created. Uh, I'm going to a World Economic Forum next week, and people always will ask me, has anything good from a deal standpoint ever come out of World Economic yeah. Forum? Well, speaking of Spotify, um, I met Daniel uh, in a small room uh, in 2011 wow, at World there. Economic Forum, and he is another individual, like Mark Zuckerberg, yeah where within 48 hours, I just knew. Um, I had invested in music services before, Rhapsody and Real Networks. But watching what Daniel had from a personal characteristic standpoint uh, was just another indication that I didn't go into that meeting thinking I need to invest in another streaming music deal. But his personal characteristics and his capability and what I've seen since is simply extraordinary, and Daniel uh, deserves just so much credit for taking on, again, industry structures that are extremely difficult in thoughtful, creative ways, and he also happens to be a superb person. Oh, amazing. He's so so heads down, so serious, and it's fascinating that, you know, you have, like you said, hundreds of people have tried to fix the music industry, uh, whether they're Hollywood people or New York people, um, you know, in the industry, and here's this quiet, you know, he, I think he was probably a 28-year-old kid in Stockholm that found a way. And you've had a great track record, and people, it's very rare to find someone like Mark Zuckerberg and someone like Daniel Eck, who not only can they come up with the idea and execute early on and build the technology, but can also be the CEO of these giant companies. Uh, it's incredible. Um, but I also yeah. think uh, what, what's wonderful about it, when I met Daniel now seven years ago. And I'm sure you met him through our friend Sean Parker, I imagine. Uh, Sean and others introduced uh, 
Daniel to me. And uh, Daniel, uh, again, it's that magic pattern recognition. It's very hard to uh, specifically come up with a conclusion in venture capital, but it's a combination of analysis and a combination of trying to look around what might be the corner, looking around that corner, that's five to seven years from now. But so much of it is trying to find the best of the best entrepreneurs. They tend to be in their mid to late 20s in many cases, early 30s. And when I think of that first meeting with Daniel, just as in meeting Mark, those personal characteristics come across and out of both meetings, whether it was Daniel at World Economic Forum as a young global leader uh, or Mark in downtown Palo Alto in 2005, there are times where there's magic, where my gut is simply telling me this is an individual who is going to do something that's extraordinary. Mm -hmm. And that's what we do in the venture capital business, marry the right brain with the left brain, but always be open to the possibilities of the new entrepreneurs who are, at the end of the day, going to be driving the businesses. And we as venture capitalists, board members, we're advisors. We're advisors along the way. And we'll be right back after this quick break. Support for the Forbes interview podcast comes from our friends at Rocket Mortgage by Quicken Loans, the mortgage company that decided to ask, why? Why can't clients get approved in minutes rather than weeks? Why can't they make adjustments to the rate and term in real time? And why can't there be client-focused technological mortgage revolution? Quicken Loans answered all these questions and more with Rocket Mortgage. Rocket Mortgage gives you the confidence you need when it comes to buying a home or refinancing your existing home loan. Rocket Mortgage is simple, allowing you to fully understand all the details and be confident you're getting the right mortgage for you. Whether you're looking to buy your first home or your tenth, with Rocket Mortgage, you get a transparent online process that gives you the confidence to make an informed decision. Rocket Mortgage by Quicken Loans. Apply simply, understand fully, mortgage confidently. To get started, go to rocketmortgage.com slash Forbes, equal housing lender, licensed in all 50 states, nmlsconsumeraccess.org number 3030. Lowe's knows you'll do spring right by saving on everything you need to get your garden growing. We do it right, too, with incredible deals to help you save during our spring Black Friday sale, like Bonnie Vegetable and Herb Plants, four for $10. And for a clean-looking landscape, pick up five bags of Scott's Mulch for just $10. Whatever's on your spring to-do list, hurry in and save during our spring Black Friday sale. Do it right for less. Start with Lowe's. Offers valid through 417, not valid on Alaska or Hawaii. Bonnie offer valid on 19-ounce pots. See store for details, U.S. only. If you had to write down, like, on the palm of your hand, like a cheat sheet, like five, three or five things when you're meeting with a, a potential entrepreneur to, you know, check off those attributes of the, the whether it's a Sean Parker, Daniel Eck, um, Mark Zuckerberg. I mean, everyone has different personalities, but are there, like, three or four, like, key boxes you want to see checked, whether it's behavioral-wise, I mean, personality-wise, vision-wise, idea-wise? Oh, there, there are a number, and yeah. just to stream of consciousness, think about some of the characteristics. Uh, a lot of people think that it needs to be an entrepreneur in his or her early 20s. Mm-hmm. Um, Tom Siebel, who I'm an investor with, is well past that. Yes, yes. And <laughs> yet the characteristics of Tom Siebel or a Daniel Eck or a Mark Zuckerberg, Sheryl Sandberg, Thomas Tollett Legendary, uh, Ike Perlmutter at, at Marvel, I could go on and on. I've had the 
really good fortune of being on these boards and advising. Um, there's courage, absolute product passion, uh, intensity. Earlier we were speaking about Michael Dell, where I was on the board yep. for five years. These characteristics of 24 by 7, intensity, perfectionist, uh, vision, uh, great courage, hiring well, and if it doesn't go well, then recognizing a mistake was made. Those are all the characteristics mm -hmm. that I look for, and uh, whether it's a search for uh, a new entrepreneur in an important AI space or consumer space or some of the nonprofit leaders, uh, everything is tempered a little bit by the industry, but it's that intensity of passion, mm -hmm. courage, and, of course, in most cases, extraordinary IQ. Yes. Not always extraordinary EQ, but enough EQ to understand that they will need to hire help yeah. <laughs> uh, along the way as they scale the company. You mentioned that. I mean, the AI space is so it's so deep, you know, deep hardcore computer science, very academic. Um, are you? Do you? Is it a challenge to find like a techno, like a founder who is has that like that really deep? tech background and can also be an entrepreneur? Or is that someone you want to marry? Is that like a, a Wozniak that you want to find a Steve Jobs to kind of build an Apple, so to speak? Or are you finding people that can do the machine learning but also go out and lead a team, fundraise, that sort of thing? It almost is never just one person. Yeah. But again, the very best people, Daniel Nadler, uh, Daniel Eck, Mark Zuckerberg, uh, Michael Dell, uh, could go on and on. Yeah. The great leaders in China, the Pony Maz and Robin, uh, Jack, uh, all have that intensity, but also recognize they're leaders. Mm -hmm. They probably want to control most things, but early on, they always have a knack for hiring and adding great talent. And it's that openness to adding and hiring complementary, exceptional talent uh, for me that is another personal characteristic of the entrepreneurs where I simply want to say I want to invest because not only is there the great passion and IQ, but there's that innate understanding that to get there, uh, we together mm -hmm. are going to need to add, we all hope, something as happy as a Sheryl Sandberg. Yeah. Uh, and that is part of the innate fun but innate challenges uh, that we all see mm -hmm. in the business. In, in talking about all these, you know, Young entrepreneurs. I want to go back to the Jim Breyer, the young entrepreneur, because and your kind of real quick history and background. Because I mean, everyone knows you came from an old, moneyed American family, correct? Uh, not quite. No, you grew up in a, Hungarian immigrants. Yes, and you lived at one point in a funeral home. Right? I did. I sure did. My mom and dad. My dad has passed. Uh, were students in Hungary during 1956. The Russians came in, of course, in November of 1956. They, as students, uh, left for Vienna, mm -hmm. and my dad received a scholarship uh, to come to the United States. Uh, so they came to Yale. Uh, I was born in New Haven. Mm -hmm. uh, they came with $50. At least that's what they tell me. Yes, it might yes. be $5. Yeah. It might be $100. But that, but that, ball, yes. that ballpark. And uh, they uh, simply felt education was something that could never be taken away. Mm -hmm. And so one of the great privileges I've had is along the way 
spending a lot of time with universities yeah. because universities, I believe, and colleges and K through 12 uh, are so formative in so many ways. And the young Jim Breyer is an entrepreneur. It's hard. Uh, there's always uh, hindsight bias. Mm -hmm. But uh, thinking about what I've always loved, I've always loved education. Yeah. I've had a combination of interests, uh, economics and art, combined with computer science and mathematics. And today when I look at the institutions where I'm on the board, mm -hmm. Blackstone Group, yep. uh, the Metropolitan Museum of Art, SF MoMA, Harvard University. You're always picking good brands. That's really I, good. <laughs> well, I, I, I truly believe that good brands really matter, mm -hmm. but always, it's always important to aspire to get better and better and better, no matter how good the brand is. Mm -hmm. With the world of technolo technological change, whether it's a museum or a university, uh, or looking outwards towards China, mm -hmm. one always has to be very intense about getting better and better uh, along the way. And so I'm usually one of the people on these boards yeah. who is certainly arguing to embrace technology more deeply, to continue to think out of the box when possible, and to always think through what does the world look like 10 years from now, whether it's a university, a museum, or an AI startup. That's a good view as a venture capitalist. And you, and you went, you, I mean, obviously you grew up from an immigrant family, you grew up, I mean, your parents came here with nothing, you obviously were a great student, went to Stanford, and then eventually Harvard Business School, and you, I think you finished Harvard in like the mid-late 80s, correct? 1987. 1987. So 1987 is like, it's, you know, the 80s, <laughs> it's the roaring 80s, it's the masters of the universe, uh, I'm sure you could have gone to the, you know, the Wall Street, how, you know, the, the, any of the, the high-end Wall Street houses, whether it's you know, the junk bond world or that kind of thing. But you went to venture capital. Was that a weird choice back then? Because I know venture capital has always been, it's not this kind of huge thing it was, it was today. At, at that time, uh, my Harvard Business School class, the class of 87, mm -hmm. is still the highest percentage Harvard Business School class to ever go to Wall Street. A third of my class went to Wall Street, mm -hmm. and the market crashed in October, and that third quickly went down to 15, 10 percent, yeah. but Wall Street and finance was far and away the most popular. Mm -hmm. uh, I had uh, always loved, again, the intersection of technology and finance. Uh, I was interested either in being a product manager at Apple or Oracle, mm -hmm. or a, a company that uh, I really liked where the boss and the management uh, were significant yeah. uh, and terrific, uh, or going into something like venture capital. And as I went into venture capital in 1987, there were only a couple of us out of 800 who went into the business. Mm. And I went in thinking, I may love this, or I may do this for a couple of years, and then with all the business plans that I would see, yeah. I would start my own product company. I see. And here I am, uh, 29 years later, 30 years later, thinking, I love the venture capital business, I love investing, and I love interacting with fabulous entrepreneurs. And this is what I love to do. Yeah. What was your first big deal, do you remember? Macromedia, uh, absolutely. And Macromedia ended up being about a 5X. Nice, uh, what, did macro was, what was Macromedia? Macromedia was a combination of authorware which was a multimedia courseware mm -hmm. company, and Macromind. And then Macromedia ended up getting acquired after going public uh, by Adobe. 
and Macromedia had one of the best implementations early of Flash, the Flash player. Yeah, okay. And so it was in a burgeoning uh, area called multimedia software, and that was my very first investment. It's been quite a journey. Jim, let's talk about China, because you you were at Excel for almost 30 years, correct? And then in 2016, you launched Briar Capital, and a huge focus of that is going to be on China. Um, I want to hear what got your attention. I mean, not that China's hiding anywhere, but um, you know, what are you seeing in China? And also, how do you balance the crazy logistical uh, time zone effect of uh, being in the States often and also dealing with you know, Beijing, Hong Kong, Shanghai? Well, I've been very fortunate because in 2005, after doing a lot of due diligence, I was chairman of, at that time of the National Venture Capital Association and the chairman of the China Venture Capital Association was Hugo Shang, mm-hmm. one of the two co-founders of IDG China. Okay. We met, we negotiated for six months, uh, and formed uh, together uh, the IDG Axel China mm-hmm. first fund where we started working together and his partner, Quan Zhou, very intensively. They had invested in Tencent yeah. and Baidu as Series A investments. Two good, um, two good ones. And those were two of the most important <laughs> reference checks yeah. and visits I had in 2005 as we were formalizing the relationship. Um, now it is a Briar Capital-sponsored relationship, mm-hmm. as it has been since 2014. Okay. Uh, I go four times a year. They are incredible friends, the IDG China team. Mm-hmm. They continue to perform extremely well. Uh, we'll sometimes co-invest. For example, Xiaomi mm-hmm. is a co-investment yep. of Briar Capital and IDG China. Uh, I'm on the board of Tsinghua's School of Economics and Management, mm-hmm. where Robin Lee, Jack Ma, and Pony Ma are three of the board members. Good and bo- so I good, interact good, good board to have. with them. Actually, when we are seated in our board meetings, it's alphabetical order, so uh, Jack and Pony are seated next to each other. <laughs> uh, but what's happening in China, whether it's AI or what companies like Xiaomi and Didi are doing, mm-hmm. uh, it's just explosive in terms of upside. There's a shortage of management talent mm-hmm. that can scale the companies, and that's where... Um, I feel at times I can be very helpful in suggesting great executives within China or in the U.S. who can help these great entrepreneurs scale. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I've just been really proud and fortunate uh, to be a very deep limited partner, general partner, uh, and friend of the IDG China team for now 14 years. Where's the hotbed of Chinese entrepreneurship? Are there certain, uh, is there a handful of universities or a handful of kind of neighborhoods where everyone's like flocking to or coming from? Or is it still, I mean, obviously massive culture, massive country, is it more spread out? Or are there a few like, you know, spots? It's very concentrated. Yeah, where is that? Uh, Beijing Mm -hmm. has two of the top universities in the country, Tsinghua and Beida. Mm -hmm. Uh, Last week, uh, the Chinese central government announced that they would be devoting $2.5 billion uh, to invest in a new center right between the two universities. So think of the distance like yep. MIT and Harvard. Yep. Uh, so AI is very focused and concentrated right now in Beijing. Uh, but if we take Alibaba, uh, Hanzhou has yep. turned out to be a hotbed. We have an office uh, in Hanzhou. Uh, Shanghai for financial technologies mm-hmm. uh, is a center. 
And then the south is a center for biopharmaceuticals, biotechnology, and a lot of the mobile computing. Um, so those are the areas where there's deep concentration, and it's perhaps in some ways akin to investing in the United States. Uh, Silicon Valley is still the single best part of the world to invest in, mm -hmm. and I don't see that changing when it comes to fundamental technology. I see. But New York and Boston are today uh, providing some groundbreaking opportunities in areas such as AI, which I think are best in world. Yeah. In China, it would be similar mm -hmm. geographically, but uh, I'm always learning, and there will be some new emerging areas uh, where I'm struck. The growth is dramatic. The talent is unparalleled, yeah. with the exception of the United States, and there just continues to be great opportunity both in the U.S. and China, and particularly for investors who love to bridge the cultural understanding and the investment discipline of the two countries. China's so big, but there really hasn't been like a American, a Chinese company that's cracked the American consumer. Do you think that will happen, or there's kind of the, the tracks have been laid on both sides, or just the different cultures or different interests? You think there's always going to be kind of a, the ocean between us? I think over a long period of time, 20 to 30 years, we'll see fundamental change. But my investment thesis, when it was Didi, when it was Xiaomi, mm -hmm. uh, others, as well as the companies in IDG China that we've invested in, is all about winning big in China. And that's the way uh, we form our investment hypothesis. At some point, we hope to be very helpful in helping Chinese companies in other geographies, but it's plain and simple. We want to back the very best entrepreneurs, the very best companies that are focused on China, and that's how we have generated uh, some excellent returns and some extraordinary outcomes. That's not going to change. And real quick, just want to talk about, I mean, your, your, your thinking is so global. You know, you are um, you know, the son of, of European immigrants. How, what do you, how are you dealing with this current like, government? How are you dealing with the current Trump administration, this kind of big nationalist push on some parts of the country and you know, with cracking down on borders and immigration? What's, how do you, is that something that you're fighting for? Is that something you kind of really follow closely or you think just you know, entrepreneurship and the market will take care of any problem? Well, Mark Zuckerberg asked me to be a co-founder of Forward.us mm -hmm. several years ago, and I agreed because I'm so passionate about immigration and how important it is, not only for this country and for the universities, but how important it is fundamentally. Mm -hmm. And so DACA and the Dreamers and the right immigration uh, is something I deeply care about. And yes, there's a lot of personal history. Yeah. I would... Uh, not be here if my parents would not have been invited uh, to the United States. And there are many, many people out mm -hmm. there who deserve similar or better opportunities than I had. Well, I think that's a good place to end it. Jim, thanks for joining us. Thank you so much, Steve. That's it for this episode of the Forbes interview. I'm Steve Bertoni. Thanks for listening. If you want to get in touch with a question or comment, please reach us at interview at podcastone.com.
Hi, this is Ben Dominich, the host of the Federalist Radio Hour. We're a daily show coming to you five days a week from Washington, D.C., where we interview our nation's top journalists, politicians, authors, chefs, economists, entertainers, and more. If you're looking for a contrarian discussion on news, politics, or culture, give us a listen and subscribe at podcastone.com, the new Podcast One app, or at Apple Podcasts. Lowe's knows you'll do spring right by saving on everything you need to get your garden growing. We do it right, too, with incredible deals to help you save during our spring Black Friday sale, like Bonnie Vegetable and Herb Plants, four for $10. And for a clean-looking landscape, pick up five bags of Scott's Mulch for just $10. Whatever's on your spring to-do list, hurry in and save during our spring Black Friday sale. Do it right for less. Start with Lowe's. Offers valid through 417, not valid on Alaska or Hawaii. Bonnie offer valid on 19-ounce pots. See store for details, U.S. only. At the border, I'm Ed Donahue with an AP News Minute. At the roundtable discussion today in San Antonio, Texas, President Trump heard something he said he never heard before about life along the border. Many people are dying, and the danger of living here, unless you know exactly what you're doing, is tremendous. This is Texas Lieutenant Governor Dan Patrick. Where are the people in Washington to stand up for these children, these women, these senior citizens? Where are they? Bring them down. Mr. President, let the Democrats come down to Brooks County. Let them come to any of these ranches. Let them see these bodies. Let them see the skeletons. We have the photographs. Attorney General William Barr says he thinks spying did occur on Donald Trump's presidential campaign, suggesting the origins of the Russia investigation may have been mishandled. Scientists released the first image ever made of a black hole, revealing a fiery ring of gravity-twisted light swirling around the edge of the abyss. One scientist said science fiction has become science fact. I'm Ed Donahue.